Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Taylor. I work at Manchester Met University and this is another in the Live Better virtual series where we're talking to people in leadership positions at work, people who run businesses, run teams, or people who are just thinking about the workplace and how it affects you. We've had a different guest on every occasion when we've done these. We're running them live, but also we know many of you will be accessing this um, in your own time, which is just fantastic. Um, my guest today is Kaylee Frost. Kaylee, welcome. Tell Hello. us a little bit about your business, what you do, and what you're here to talk to us about. The whole issue about supporting employee well-being and people coming back to work or back to the workplace. Kaylee. Thanks, Michael. Um, yes, my name's Kaylee Frost. I'm the Clinical Support Manager at Health Assured. Uh, so we're a Manchester-based organisation, uh, but we are the UK and Ireland's leading EAP service so in terms of emotional well-being legal support financial support 24 7 support for employees and currently we support over 12 million people who have access to the provision uh, one of my responsibilities oh, sorry. <laughs> one of my responsibilities is to um manage the referrals for counseling and for occupational health we also have occupational health provision so I oversee those, make sure that their individuals are placed with appropriate counsellors, psychologists, yeah. psychotherapists. Uh, but in addition to that, I also um, oversee our training network as well. So affiliate trainers, we obviously have to adapt to the way that we're doing um, delivering training to our clients, but looking at the right types of practitioners to deliver things on mental health, uh, resilience, stress management, nutrition, yeah. anything that enhances someone's um, life in, 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 in a, for, for the better, I guess. And, yeah. and we're a prevalent provision at the moment for many of our clients, given where we're at as a nation. Just talk me, before, we'll, we'll come on to some of the strategies that uh, people might be able to learn from, uh, from your experiences, but just tell us what life's been like over the last 10 weeks. How, how have you been operating and, and how, how's your interaction with, with clients who are coming to you for advice? What's that been like these yeah, last no, absolutely. Well, naturally, I mean, we're a 24-7 contact centre uh, set up, uh, all based in Manchester, uh, with the counsellors and legal advisors on the helpline. Now, we've had to adapt, as everyone else had, in terms of homeworking. So we had been planning it when things started, you know, there were whisperings around February time. We had our uh, business continuity plan in place and we were testing counsellors, advisors, case managers, all from different areas of the business and a home working capacity, making sure the systems were set up, telephone lines were all working. And luckily when there was that overnight switch where we all had to rush home with our equipment, everything was set up and we were ready to go. So we have been functioning right. as business as usual um, uh, in terms of the helpline, the support functions. Nothing has changed in terms of when a service user calls the, the helpline and looking for that immediate support, that counselling support, that legal support. Nothing has changed from their aspect, but we've had to adapt just like yeah. everyone else in terms of our workplace setups um, to, to manage those services. Yeah. And have you, you've been working from home personally. How, how have you found that? Yeah, I have indeed. Um, bit of a shock to the system. Um, initially, we thought, oh, three weeks. That's fine. Not, not a problem. <laughs> three weeks quickly yeah. turned into 10. Yeah. Um, definitely, uh, I think as a, a manager myself as well, people manager, as well as overseeing the, the, the service provisions, you know, it, it's all about keeping um, open lines of communication with your teams, regular video. We're so used to this way now, I guess, 10 weeks on. 
Um, for me, I don't have a dining room table or a study, so I was working from my bedroom, which was um, unusual to see my work set up the moment I sat up in the morning, quickly became the new normal. Um, and currently I'm testing out the return to work in the office. So observing okay. kind of health and safety, making sure that's all working as it should. Wow. So let's, let's have a chat about the phrase return to work. Now, I think, you know, for those of us, like I said, I work at a university, we've been quite effectively, I think, working from home, from our home settings. You've described your own personal situation. I think lots of people who work in city centres and business parks, punched over laptops, I guess professional people, um, in, you know, in the professions and in office-based jobs, have been able to do that. There's obviously a whole swathe of the workforce, either been on furlough or they've... Um, or they've lost their jobs entirely and they're yep. out of the labour market. But there's a yep. whole load of people who've been going to work and having to deal with the risks that that involves as well. I think it's important not, not to forget that. And I'm sure there's, among that number, there's been many of your clients who you've been advising about yep. working through the, you know, this period of isolation. We've still got the government advice that when we return to work, we should practice social distancing. So I guess what I'm saying is, there are learnings to take from businesses who've been working through this anyway. And we're not going back to any kind of normal immediately. Absolutely. It's, it's very much a, a process of transition. So give us an idea then about how you're having those conversations, both inside your business, mm -hmm. inside Health Assured and Peninsula, but also to your clients about, gently moving towards that ending of lockdown and, and how you're advising businesses should go about it and how they communicate that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Um, there has been a, a huge number of individuals that have not been able to work from home. They are essential workers. They are key workers. We've been supporting many of those as well um, through this this process um, a lot of people being frontline workers so we've been supporting them in the moment you know they've got 10 minutes before they have to move on to the next thing you know come off their lunch they want to sound off to a counsellor perhaps so we're giving them in the moment coping mechanisms and strategies um, but what we found when speaking with their employers looking more at the kind of organisational level aspect of that is making sure that the open lines of communication are there, but they're also consistent. And that is something that, that needs to be taken away for organisations that are now starting to plan and prepare their return to the workplace. Um, with the situation being, you know, with, when we reach certain peaks, I guess some of our frontline workers were absolutely in despair, um, didn't know what to, do, what to do, how to cope with certain things, didn't know what to expect. And one of the biggest... Um, fears is the is the unknown not knowing what to expect and that's where a lot of the anxieties kind of come from and that was for people working in the workplace still as frontline workers but now what we've got to consider for those that are going from this 10 weeks of working at home or not working at all if they've been on furlough or maybe they've been self-isolating or ill themselves so they're having to go back to a whole new way of life um i think like with what you said Michael there's this isn't going to be going back to normal um there is a, a new normal now and that is for everything not just workplace but your whole social interaction the way you liaise with family and see your friends um but this part of this new normal there's this fear uncertainty loss of control um 
And I think before people are starting to plan their return to work, for those that aren't already back in the workplace, it's not an overnight decision that needs to be made. You can't just expect employees to go overnight back into the workplace in the way that we overnight had to go back home when lockdown started. It's not, it can't be mirrored. That is not the way that you're going to get a successful return to work as an employer. Um, one of the, the, the key uh, key parts of being able to have a successful return to work is ensuring that any risk uh, posed by the, the virus um, is assessed, whether that's from a physical perspective, so your health and safety, if you've done your workplace risk assessments, um, how are your employees getting back to the workplace are they traveling yeah. on their own are they traveling on public transport um is there a risk to the business functionality now you know does do the processes need to change does the way that you need to work need to adapt can't go back to the way that it was once upon a time um and who else is going to be in the workplace when you them you know get everyone back in are there people that have been impacted directly by coronavirus that you're expecting to be back in um people been symptomatic have people been self-isolating with people so there's a huge risk assessment um not just from having your sanitizing stations in place but considering your your actual workforce and how your organization is expected to run when you're back in the workplace um so just to just to be clear it's Obviously, planning and preparation is absolutely yes. key here. Yeah, yes. I just want to pick up on one of the the, the, the really important points you've made. Just 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 to summarise is you know mm-hmm. doing those workplace risk assessments, and also having that op- open conversation about people's yeah. anxieties uh, that they might have and getting into work. Yes, there's a really important element about this, about the the, the working day. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm probably not atypical. That you know I pile on a train at 7.43 on the on the rare occasions that it's on time. Um, I don't fancy doing that anymore. Um, what about coming in a bit later and just spreading it out? And I was talking to somebody on a chamber call the other day. Uh, sorry, that's not a call that I had in a chamber. It was <laughs> a, a, a call organised by the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce yeah. where it was discussed, you know, double-decker buses, their capacity at the moment. And I checked this with a bus driver who I, bumped into the other day I said how many people can you get on a double deck a a greater Manchester stagecoach double decker bus with social distancing measures in place and it's about 20 yeah I know hundreds of them go up and down Oxford Road but not necessarily to other places trains that's going to be again much much reduced so that's therefore going to put a great emphasis on people getting to work at different times so an employer has to structure the workplace and how they get to work and and then therefore then people might want to drive into work now i know lots of civic authorities milan for instance want to exclude cars from the city center to cut down on emissions and those sorts of things which is all very laudable but actually the reality is people the safest environment to isolate from infection is coming in their own car or with members of their own family that's then going to put a great demand on car parking you're in the, you're just off the city center i don't know how many yeah. car parking spaces you've got access to there's a great big arena across the road that <laughs> isn't being used at the moment and all those other car parks yeah is these big systemic issues are a massive challenge for planning and preparation for this return to work yeah absolutely and i think it's all about understanding certain expectations and remaining flexible as an employer um obviously businesses need to 
be sustainable. They need to run and you need to get to some kind of business as usual, whatever that yeah. then may look like. Uh, but I think employers, business owners, leaders, they need to be listening, acknowledging and accommodating reasonable expectations and with their employees. Um, so I guess explore there needs to be that open conversation they need to be able to listen to their employees and their employees need to be allowed to be heard you know what are their concerns what is their plan for returning to work themselves personally how does that look for them is it public transport is it driving are they lucky enough to live in you know close proximity to walk or cycle but from that businesses do need to start exploring flexible working conditions now this might not be forever so until a vaccine is is on the horizon yeah. i mean we're probably looking this is short to midterm for these um adjustments i guess um so if someone needs to start work later because they need to avoid the peak the peak rush on uh, public transport so i've tested going on the metro link myself coming out from chalton it's only right. 20 minutes on the tram um but it is an unusual experience. I was all PPE'd up to the nines, um, but a lot of people weren't. So there's going to be anxieties around how everyone else is acting around them. That's what employees are going to be worried about. Well, what if, you know, there's people that aren't following the rules, especially next week when the, the rule to wear masks comes into yeah. play. Yeah. People won't necessarily follow those rules and that's going to be quite difficult to police as a nation. So people are going to have those anxieties. Maybe um, so in the lead up to someone's return to work, um, almost like coming back from maternity leave, those kit days, as keeping in touch, get people used to coming back to, okay. to the workplace. Do a trial run of public transport at a time you think might be better. Um, allow that flexibility for them. You know, they're not going to be in at nine on the dot because they are trialing a different time out on on public transport. Be open and flexible with that. If you're being reasonable at the beginning in that transition period back into the workplace, you're going to get that engagement. Um, and those employees are going to be more receptive to the changes and, and, and expectations of them um, in the workplace as well. Would you suggest um, doing surveys of staff about what their expectations are a good way of gauging opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you've already got people in the workplace, people may have already started doing this. So we've um, had clients, for example, where it's absolutely critical their employees have to remain in the workplace, whether that's because they have no internet connection, it's not confidential, um, they are, you know, maybe the house share, that kind of thing. It is not possible for them to work, but they're critical to the business. They have worked um, in offices, for example, and what they have done, um, certain employers, in those situations is use them to spread positive gossip um, okay. and talk about the precautions that have been put in place in the workplace. The risk assessments have been done. They're COVID secure in terms of hygiene, cleanliness, the precautions that are being put in place. They can go, look, there's arrows on the floor for a one-way system, the sanitizing stations at the end of every bank of desks. However that may, may look, but it's getting them to use their personal experiences as well if there has been minimal numbers in the workplace, uh, we've seen that be, uh, people are going to listen to their peers. They're going to listen to the ones that they trust. They speak with outside of work. And if they've spoken with such a body after work, who's been in the workplace for a number of weeks, they're going to hear those good things. And I think that's a really useful tool and it's free. It's not, you know, you're not having to pay for professional support to ease someone's anxieties. It's peer to peer support and it doesn't cost yeah. anything at all. Can I ask you about um, 
there's some going to be some really awkward situations in workplaces where there are some staff who've been on furlough yes and they'll be returning to work what sort of issues do you anticipate or have you already dealt with yeah. around managing that relationship between staff who are coming back to work off furlough and how they might interact with staff who were deemed too important to furlough i mean that, that's how it could come across isn't it yeah absolutely and i think but i think the feeling around furloughed employees has changed over the past 10 weeks i think the focus was on people questioning why have i been put on why have i been furloughed why have i been furloughed and actually they've 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 lent into it they you know they, they're leaning into it they've enjoyed this time this is never going to happen again when they're going to get this extra quality time with people to now shifting on the other side where their colleagues are resentful of them you know they've had x amount of weeks okay. off they so feel the like they have to shoulder the burden and yeah. and increase their workloads themselves there's uh, quite a lot of resentment jealousy that we've seen and it's kind of all it's i guess looking at conflict management skills because um there is going to be that resentment when they're back in the workplace you, you might get snide comments that kind of thing digs yeah. very unprofessional but it's human as well to, to to kind of for some people to act like that so it's um there needs to be a really robust plan in place for furlough works i think initially again we all thought three weeks that's fine some extra leave you know um just have a nice have a nice little jolly uh but it's not we have it's been extended and extended and extended and now these people are going to be coming back into a workplace that they are not privy to they're not aligned with anymore um if you haven't been having regular welfare calls for example with your furloughed staff keeping them up to date now is the time to start doing that if you are thinking about getting them back in to the workplace they have no idea what the business looks like anymore they don't know what's been happening they don't know what processes have changed they don't know how the client service user however the business runs they don't know how um, the operational side has been going they are going to be coming in again very similar to people on maternity for example yeah. um with no clue they need to be treated again like new starters go through that onboarding process they need to be retrained in certain things monitored supervised to ensure they're doing everything correctly but also very similar to a new starter those regular daily weekly check-ins however your onboarding process looks so have you been advising that bit that your clients do that that they have those regular keep in touch absolutely um I mean, not even to give, you know, because sometimes an update might not be business appropriate. There might not be a change in the business. You know, you are keeping ticking over. So from one week to the next, there might not be any process changes or let me keep you in the loop with how this service is looking. Just keep in touch with them and have past five minutes, five minutes tops. How are you doing? How's the family? Been going out for your walks? Um, been doing anything else? Just keeping and checking in on their welfare, their well-being. Have they got any concerns? Um, do you have any concerns about them? They might have also been impacted by the virus. So yes, they might be on furlough. They're not worrying about work necessarily, but they may have had a bereavement. They may have um, have partners that have suffered, suffered financially, for example, yeah. childcare concerns. Check in with them and have that human chat as you would in the workplace going, hi, Michael, are you okay? How was your evening last night? You need to still have those those chats as a manager, team leader, supervisor, how, you know, however that working relationship is, I'd, I would recommend weekly. There's no rule in place. It's how you 
feel that you know your teams, you know how they work, you know how they respond to you as your manager, as their manager. But I would keep those very, very regular lines of communication ongoing as well. So give us some idea about what sort of signposting and additional support and other external professional services that uh, that people can access that you'd be able to provide in order to manage this um, transition from either from furloughing or returning to the office yeah. or the workplace, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, even as managers, business owners, leaders, not miracle workers, we don't know the answers to everything. We're not um, clinical professionals, mental health practitioners. Uh, you need to utilize any other external or even internal support systems that you have within the organization. Uh, people are going to start feeling very apprehensive about this return to work. And if you're not already collaborating or have partnerships with certain things like occupational health or employee assistance programs, maybe now is the time to start thinking about it. If that is justifiable from a uh, financial perspective, there are zero cost ways of being able to support and be able to signpost. You yeah. can start peer to peer support, body systems well-being groups, mental health champions. There is a, an abundance of online mental health um, educational courses, free courses that you can upskill certain people within the business on to become those points of contact if you are not in a position to have an EAP or occupational health, for example. But also, in addition to that, there's voluntary helplines as well. You aren't a counsellor. So if someone is really at a point of a certain level of anxiety or stress, you can't, you know, if you're not a mental health first aider or a counsellor or a psychologist in yourself, you can't be expected necessarily to um, deal in the moment with any kind of risk or crisis. There are those free support helplines. The GP as well is a really um, useful tool to signpost to as well for individuals. Yeah. But it's as a zero cost way, I'd probably start exploring those peer to peer supports people can go through courses that are free online for example on how to do active listening so really good for team leaders and managers so active listening courses um coping strategies mechanisms you know things like um mindfulness to, you know i do a little bit of mindfulness at my desk you know i've got an abundance of emails i've got a couple of meetings that kind of thing there's very you know a couple of minute exercises that people can yeah. be doing so it's really, really important that I think that managers, business owners yeah. take this opportunity to upskill themselves because supporting mental health in the workplace in general, not just in the return to work through COVID, it's not just a, a, you know, a moral thing to do. It is a duty of care and there is a legal responsibility under you know, occupation, occupational health and, and support as well. And presumably your experience is that practicing these things it's good for business as well. The whole, the, the, the whole, take the holistic view. If your yeah. employees are happy, trusted, stable, are in a good place, they're more likely to be productive. And it's a good investment to make in your workforce to be you know, brutally cynical about it. Absolutely. Um, and I think we're now in, a, in an age, I mean, it's very different now because we're in the pandemic. And this is something, you know, that many people haven't experienced. The most similar thing to this, I guess, was World War II, uh, when society changed as a whole. Um, but mental health in the workplace isn't, isn't a stigma as it was once upon a time. People are very open to talk about their anxieties. Sometimes you can't 
stop people from talking about and that's great they're really open and it's all over social media and linkedin and they're talking about it in the workplace but the issues are then the managers own you know business owners leaders confidence and competence to have those conversations i mean i you know it, you don't think twice about going how's your cold coming on michael you're getting better you're less you know less stuffy but you wouldn't go up to someone and go how's your anxiety coming along michael you know it, there's a very different way of having those conversations but managers are extremely cautious uh, they don't want to say the wrong thing they want to still remain appropriate and professional they're scared of getting into certain territories that they might not feel comfortable in doing so but when people are upskilling themselves um, as leaders their work their workforce are going to see them as open non-judgmental there's an honest transparent um culture within the workplace you're going to absolutely get them engaged they're going to be thriving flourishing within the workplace um and you're going to start to see things you know if you do pulse surveys engagement surveys that kind of thing as an you know anonymous surveys your feedback on things online you know the the Glassdoor and indeed those kind of things you're starting to put out there and it is at zero cost you don't have to invest in something necessarily like an EAP or occupational health necessarily it is taking that time to just go through those learning you know spending half an hour learning how to spot signs and symptoms and changes in people and the, the accompanying coping strategies that you can recommend to someone will change will turn something around you know 360 in terms of conversations with their staff Good. Um, I'm going to um, invite people who are, who are uh, watching live to submit any questions that they might have. I mean, we've got plenty to, to get through and there's a few things I wanted to ask you, but uh, I will be looking at the button that comes up on my screen that tells me what questions I've had in from, from people who've tuned in, logged in, zoomed in, whatever we call it. <laughs> but um, I mean, you, you, you touched on stress and anxieties and if anything, mm -hmm. it, you know, it is a difficult subject to raise. Yeah. It is, a, it is a, a tricky area to navigate and it is mm -hmm. it's new territory for, for lots of people to um, in management situations, but alongside with colleagues, but also um, as an individual, your own self-awareness about what might be happening to you. And yeah. clearly this isn't unique to the period that we're coming through, but I would anticipate that it, it's a time of heightened stress and heightened yes. anxiety. So yeah. Give us a few give us a few examples of how you define, how you spot, and how you deal with stress and anxiety, and just sort of understand the difference between the two. Yeah, and, and no, no, what absolutely. sort of symptoms fall in, in, into those different categories because it is, I think, for a lot of people, a tricky area to navigate, which is why they would turn to Health Assured to, and to you yeah. to, to help them through this. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's really important that you don't, um, a lot of people confuse stress and anxiety or put, you know, put them in the same bag as each other. They're two very, very different things. And, and stress is the state of, of, of the mental or emotional strain or tension uh, when faced with something um, in demanding circumstances. So it's the, the mental uh, state as opposed to the physical feeling, which is then linked to anxiety. So anxiety is that feeling of worry, the, uh, the feeling of nervousness, the feeling of unease, when they don't know what an outcome is going to be in a certain situation. 
So two quite different things. The two are not bad things to experience. I'm pretty confident we could say that most people have experienced one or the other or both. Um, and stress, um, as, as long it's all dependent on the energy that you've got available to deal with that. Um, anxiety is the, the fight, flight or freeze situation. So I'm sure many, many people that are kind of listening in or um have felt that and they don't know what to do in certain situations so it's identifying the difference between the two by not proactively addressing certain anxieties that people or, or, or feelings of stress people are going to become more likely to develop certain mental health conditions and that will go and that will escalate and become something that could be avoided if they're not addressed quite early on like an early intervention approach and you can notice changes, you can notice symptoms in yourself or your staff by looking at the cognitive changes, so the way that your brain is processing certain things, behaviours, emotions and physiological, so the way that your body is reacting to certain things as well. So I guess in this instance, ways to identify if someone is feeling anxious about the situation of returning to work in this kind of this specific scenario, um, you will see potentially a reluctance to return to the workplace yeah. um, you will see people perhaps overreacting to certain issues um, maybe a reluctance to connect with you as their manager their leader um, or even their peers they might become quite withdrawn and start cutting off uh, because they're starting to get that fear now I've got to go back to the workplace and there's a shutdown you know a mental shutdown in them um, and things like uh, you, you, your, your behaviours are sleeping too much, sleeping too little, overeating um, or undereating, you know, not, not having an appetite, appetite at all, um, low self-esteem, low morale. So very similar to the changes in behaviours and signs that you see with someone that's struggling with anxiety in general. But you'll start to see they're very, very much work related. They might start being less productive. There might be addition, you know, procrastination, um, neglecting responsibilities as well. So start to see those as red flags because that's when you need to start having open conversations, as you would when you'd normally address issues if there are any with employees. Don't be afraid to have those open conversations because it's highly likely that that is linked to the fact they are dreading the thought of coming back into work, for example, if they are yeah. working from home and coming back into the workplace. Um, so we've talked about planning preparation. We've talked about the issues around, I guess, I guess what you're touching on there is a workplace culture mm, and, yes. and, and how that's engendered, how that's encouraged. Yeah. And, you know, I'm getting some very strong signals about what you personally would, would regard as a, a positive workplace culture that would encourage openness and yeah. support uh, a nurturing environment. Mm -hmm. Um, let, let, let's just take it down. I've got, a, I've got a question that somebody sent in that they prefer not to be identified. Okay. It's a really good question. And I think it's probably not atypical of the sort of client base for Health Assured Peninsula. This, this person manages a relatively small team of 30 people, yep. close knit, yep. you know, in normal circumstances, you know, you're already visualizing what that's like. They're about to make some redundancies and therefore they've got people who are yeah, they're coming back to work after this lockdown. They, they, you know, they, all, they all watch the briefings. They all watch the news. They all see what's going on around in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and some people could be coming back to work, um, back into the workplace at least, with a very negative attitude and a very fearful 
way. You know, they could be um, look, looking for a new job, and or maybe there aren't the opportunities to to move on because you know the yeah. economy is slowing down. So how how can these people support their staff in feeling reassured and stopping the negativity that could run rampant through workplaces during these uh, this period? Because I think that touches on where, yeah. where I think you were going on that last point about culture. yeah. Very, yeah, very, absolutely. Very good question. Yeah, that's a really, really good question because, again, it highlights as well the need for open communication and people and the employees being part of this process of change. Um, if they if they are feeling uncertain, perhaps unsupported as well, they need to be part of this transition. Um, it's There's probably a lot going on in behind the scenes. I get that, you know, that there is a lot of organisational change to, to put into place processes, how clients are being serviced, for example. Um, but the staff need to be part of that. They don't need to know all, you know, they don't need to sit and look at the blueprints for it, but you need to be communicating those changes and highlighting a timeline as well. We don't know. I mean, it is all very finger in the air. There could even be a second lockdown, which we need to be prepared for if that, if that does happen. But currently, you know, what is your time scale? What are we expected to achieve and when? And what does our role, our processes look like at these certain milestones? That is extremely important, but you need to know what that is before you start sharing information with them. Don't start guessing or surmising if you're waiting from someone above you to give that message. Um, but be honest, you are waiting for that information. You have to be honest with those employees. Don't keep them in the dark and don't fob them off, which I think yeah. can happen. We're all running you know, blind at the moment, bumping into one another, trying to guess what's going on. Um, be honest, if you don't know the answer, you're waiting for that information and you're going to be communicating those next steps out and how everything is planned and forecasted to look in the next two weeks, two months, six months, because we don't know but there needs to be some kind of idea and they need to be part of that yeah another, another question just coming on from that that someone sent in is is there anything that um, managers owners can put in place to allow staff to have a sounding board for how they feel and what their thoughts are about coming back to the office um, and yeah. conscious obviously that not everybody will want to stand up and you know in a team meeting if those things are still yeah. happening or on a zoom call like this um, I mean, I, I go on Zoom calls with, with the team I work in. There's 22 of us. Um, the loudest voices, you know, usually me and a few others, <laughs> we're, we're not afraid to talk a lot. Other people I've not heard a peek out of in three months. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that could be their only interaction with staff. It's, it could be very passive. The people yes. have retreated into types and personalities. There's yeah. different ages as well. So how do you set up those sounding boards what examples have you got for instance of, yeah yeah no absolutely there's a couple of different ways mechanisms that, can... that yeah there's a couple of different ways that you can look to do something like this it all depends on kind of things like digital capacity as well so you some people um you may have the ability to set up um a centralized inbox for example and one person has access to that inbox now that one person i wouldn't necessarily suggest it's an exec or you know someone high up in senior leadership because people can be quite apprehensive about giving it's almost like having a suggestion box but we're not in a position to have suggestion box you know, that's not something we can do at the moment um an employee feedback inbox for example um anything that they think will improve processes improve morale well-being 
email those suggestions to there and the designated person for that inbox, for example, will just collate that information and give it as a exec summary, perhaps, to those that are able to make process changes or changes within the workplace. So that has worked really well, but it's making it very, very clear that and, and assuring people that only XYZ person has access to this and collates the information. Um, another way, if people are happy to talk, especially in these situations, um, is to look at maybe um, well-being groups, like focus groups. Don't choose your, your managers of departments, don't choose team leaders or your senior people, whoever that may be, your deputies. Choose an employee from each department. Um, get them to volunteer if they want to, but reach out to people that you think have a lot to say but don't know the right platform to do that. Bring them together once a month. You might want to do it reg more regularly than that, but then share best practice. Talk about things that they've heard from their peers, their colleagues, things they're worried about. They don't have to break confidentiality. Just want to get a sense of everything without it becoming a soapbox. You don't want it to become a, a place where people will attack processes, for example. Yeah. Um, but have someone to facilitate that. Someone, again, doesn't don't need to be in leadership because you want to have that element of trust there. But someone that has a really great um, relationship with employees and then the decision makers, the, uh, the, 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 the execs, the management, yeah. for example. Use them to facilitate and kind of mediate a, a session where you're sharing best practice, looking at processes, looking at ways to support one another, um, and they can then summarise that and give that in a, in a brief report if they need to about how proposed changes could make a difference. That's good, good. Um, there's a couple of other issues that have come up from, um, from people uh, expressing their own individual circumstances they want some help with. One yeah. of them's... Um, Almost the types of the, everybody's personal circumstances will be unique to them, self-evidently, as, as they come back into the workplace. But there are obviously people coming in from, um, um, there'll be people who will still be required to work from home because of the social distancing measures. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of workspaces, we've, you know, we've, a lot of us have been seduced by this idea about hot desking and mm. um, play area play areas and pool tables and pinball machines for those of us who work in those of you who work in social media agencies in the northern quarter of Manchester and etc <laughs> etc et um okay but you know they're gonna have to a lot of businesses are gonna have to keep numbers down so there's some yep. working from home some being required to come in but yep. there's another divide as well and that's parents yeah yeah I mean I think it's it's always been there about the kind of rights and you know yep. the fact that we've that those of us who've had school-aged children have had to pay that premium in July and August for expensive holidays and all those sorts of things. <laughs> How do you manage those sorts of issues around the expectations of parents who are going to still have to not return to work till because their schools and nurseries yeah. in different settings aren't going to be open until September? So there's the there's the there's the continuing to work from home divide, and then there's yeah. the um, the parents, you know, the, the breeders against, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> against the people without children. So with, with the divide, I think I, I think this is where you need to, it depends on the volumes within your workforce. You need to be, obviously, when you're putting your plan in place to return people to the workplace, you need to be identifying those that are going to come into the workplace without there being anything else to worry about. So they've got, so... 
for example, prioritise the ones that have got their own car, don't necessarily have childcare um, concerns, no children, that kind of thing. So the people that are able to just come straight into work and not have to worry about putting other um, plans in place for whatever else is going on at home, look at those first, start having those conversations with them. Do they want to be the first coming back into the workplace? Share your evidence of how the workplace looks at the moment, get them to come in um, first. That's what you need to look at. And then you need to be almost again this is not a black and white rule I'm not an employment law advisor talking about best practice here is giving them an opportunity to volunteer some people may have the childcare issues covered at home the partner might already be there they're able to homeschool them however that looks people might bite your hand off to come back to the workplace so you need to put it out to them don't just say you are all coming back in on Monday morning See you then. Bye. You need to be having those continuous conversations. And then that's when you need to start looking at the reasonable adjustments. Like I mentioned before, this, these reasonable adjustments might only be short to midterm. So when you're getting into September, when we're pretty certain that all the schools are going to be back to how it used to be, um, or as close to that as possible, this is realistically July's three months, three, you know, three months really. So it is very short term in terms of temporary adjustments um, if they need to continue working at home. But I would, all, I would look at your workforce as a whole and understand who doesn't fit into that category of having those additional responsibilities. To be quite honest, you'll see that people will, will snap your hand off to come back into the workplace. It really does help create a divide. You're not moving from the so you know, the dining room to the sofa. Um, you're actually creating some lines between work and home. Um, the divide, whilst you've still got people at home and you've got people in work, really good. You, you need to keep uh, up with some of the habits we've picked up during lockdown. Some of them haven't been bad. Um, some of them aren't all wearing yoga pants at your desk. We've actually picked up some good habits and that is this way of communicating. I feel like I've spoken to my teams more and we've, we've spoken about more productive things and um, resolved issues a lot faster by having this kind of set up, I guess. Um, and that needs to maintain. Let's keep that in place. That's a good habit to maintain whilst we're going back through this, going back to work. Keep in touch with the, keep the office staff, the workplace staff, uh, in communication with the the home-based staff still um i would probably look at doing things like keeping up those good habits of team meetings you know you don't want people to feel um like they're being left out if you're back in the workplace and you can get four people in a boardroom perhaps you know continue with these styles of, of meeting with your staff um not only is does it reduce any physical risk even if you can put four people in a boardroom it keeps the the home workers still part of the team like nothing has changed in that respect brilliant listen we've hit um 40 minutes which i thought was uh Nick. i thought we'd sustain sustain a conversation for that long um, <laughs> i i can't go beyond an hour but i think um you know for the purposes of you know a, a, a decent run around the block for people if they want to listen to this later on as a as a podcast that's that's been excellent i think the main summary that we take from this is you know be honest with people i think you're, you're giving that message um, listen, all managers need to actively listen to, to what their employees are saying. Um, clearly, you know, be honest with them about the long-term, short-term, middle-term view about what, what's involved, that everybody else is in a different situation, but also create those feedback loops. So yes. um, to make sure that, um, that there is that opportunity for people to express how they're feeling in a safe and confidential way.
So, Kaylee, thank you so much for giving your time to this Live Better podcast. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, whether you're listening to it to the recording, thank you very much for your time. But more than more than ever, you know, thank Kaylee from Health Assured for for your insights, and I, I hope people have found them to be useful. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever it is that you're doing, and uh, look forward to you joining us on on the next Live Better podcast. But more than anything, hopefully we'll all be getting together very, very soon on, um, on another occasion in person when this is all blown over. Thank you. Oh.